And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I am doing very well. I just dropped my water, and now we are doing even better <laughs> after I picked it up. So, uh, no, but I'm doing very well. I got a a board game in the mail, and I'm so excited. I was showing Bauer before the show. Anyone that's played the game Ticket to Ride, it's a legacy board game, which is that one game will affect the next game and change the rules. So you have to play it with like, the same group multiple times. <laughs> I am stoked. Is a good word for it. I am beyond stoked. I, I might have to start holding tryouts on who the three people I'm going to play it with are. One is my wife, so two people, I guess, are the tryouts. How do you decide? Vegas. How do you how do you land on the other participants? I don't know. I don't want to say because some of those people listen to this pod. So I, <laughs> I I I don't know which episodes they listen to either. So here we go. So I because I, my mom is one of them. And I'm not sure. Uh, so yeah, but I'm I'm very excited to play it because it's they did one for this game called Pandemic. Which and I own that game. Inspired. I've never played it before, but I have it at my house. Oh, it's great. It's a co-op game. You know, so everyone's on the same team. It's a very fun game. That, uh, but they did a legacy version of that. So it's like one game. Like your character can freaking like die, and like you write on the board, you rip cards up, you make up rules and stuff like that. But it's like your game. So very excited for that. Thank you for letting me nerd out for a minute. But I'm so happy. Ball. I'm so happy for you. I'm so I'm, thrilled. Can you Listen, see how giddy I am? It's the time of year where there's a lot of family time. So I assume there's yes. a lot of board game opportunity time, which Correct. is probably the best stretch of the calendar for you. So I'm very happy for you, buddy. We've got some fun stuff on tap this week in the NFL. Going to get to a huge game between the Bills and the Eagles. Talk about the Dolphins a little bit today. We really haven't talked yeah. about the Dolphins very much, just the way the schedule has kind of unfolded over the last month or so. But we're going to start with an unlikely blockbuster that is on the NFL schedule for Week 12. And that is the game between the Jaguars and the Texans. I just want to take us back to like August 15th, when you're just considering the NFL at large, and what could potentially unfold, and which games are going to be worth circling. Think about how you would have considered a Week 12 game between the Jaguars and the Houston Texans then, and the way that you're thinking about it right now. I am so pumped for this game, and I think this speaks to kind of the magic of the NFL and how things can sneak up on us and be a little bit unpredictable. The idea that this is going to be one of the must-watch matchups of the week, and there are three, four, five layers on each side of the ball that are worth digging into, you never could have pictured this two and a half, three months ago, and that's why I love this league. No. It, it, that's what's awesome, and that's like when we even did like our division winners and wildcard teams, it's like... Just pick random ones sometimes. Ones that like you might have an inkling about because it's like this is how it goes. Even the teams – of course, injuries happen and all that. But sometimes these units and you don't know what gels and what clicks and who 
rises. And that's what's amazing about the NFL. Not for long, but also just like you don't know when you can rebound <laughs> and come out of nowhere. I mean, this Jags defense, we were like, this this Jags defense might hinder them from really winning games and really stacking wins together. It might make it tough to even pull out like 10 double digit wins. That's my head cannon, maybe. But I think that was a fair question. They were not a good defense for most of last season. They didn't change any of the personnel. And we acknowledged that they potentially had clicked into something in the back half of last year when they moved Trey Herndon into the slot and Darius Williams Mm -hmm. outside. It's like, okay, this group is working for them, but they lose Arden Key. Where are they going to find that other pass rush juice from? That still is a little bit of a question worth asking, by the way. It is. But overall, the defense has been so much better than we expected. So that adds intrigue to that side of it. And then obviously the most intriguing player surprise kind of new addition to the NFL period this year is the second quarterback picked in this draft playing like a top seven quarterback from the time he got into the league. So if we're trying to zero in on the aspect of this game, that's the most surprising that has snuck up on us on the most. It is absolutely CJ Stroud playing against what is a borderline elite Jaguars defense. Oh, Stroud, that's the thing with Stroud as well, and really this Texans team, is that it's like he's already arrived. It's not like, we're, you know, maybe he can stack these together. It's like, oh, he already has, and he's answering. He's still an enjoyable watch. Even the game he throws three picks, like two of them I can explain away. One was maybe even like someone didn't get on the route. So it's like, yeah, he's really good. He's making some of the best throws I've seen this year. I love watching C.J. Stroud, but I was high on him going to the draft, but this is way ahead of schedule. And that's what the, that's the best way to put it. They're ahead of schedule. And him, like like you said, this is, feels legitimate. This does not feel fluky. This feels like very much like this is what he is going to be, um, which I think is just amazing. We want more quarterbacks. And I think that this division, that's awesome that it's him and Trevor Lawrence going against each other twice a year. I mean, we can look forward to that for hopefully a long time. So very fired up, dude. Like this is – even digging into this game, it was one I knew I was going to like really study a little bit, but it was – there was more to it that I was just really interested in as it went along. And I think it's just going to be such a fun game. I'm glad. It's like the new blood of the AFC in the NFL. That's exactly how it feels. And this matchup in particular with Stroud and the Jags defense becomes even more interesting when you look back at what happened the first time these two teams played. The Jags defense has been great this year. Stroud goes 20-30 for 280 and two scores against this unit the first time they played against each other. So what do you think potentially might be different from the approach, let's say from the Jaguars this week than we saw that they threw out against Stroud the first time these two teams played? I think definitely. Well, it helps to have the linebackers healthy. Uh, I think that would be one one good thing. But also, the <laughs> don't blitz him on third and fourth down. Don't let him spread it. Don't, when the Texans are spread out, don't bring the third and fourth down blitz. C.J. Stroud is one of the best quarterbacks against the blitz already. Legitimately top 10. You know, Obviously, this can got to go up and down based on how many attempts you get. And the league is, is treating him that way. He, he yeah. is a bottom five blitz rate already this early in his career. The last guy I can remember who was treated like that that fast was Burrow. Burrow mm-hmm. into his second year, teams were like, nope, we're good. Yep. We're not going to do this anymore. But even that took into his second season for him yep. to get that sort of respect from everybody else. It, it's He's already doing advanced stuff. They had a... Um, the touchdown to Dalton Schultz against the Cardinals. It, it's a blitz where the Cardinals are hot dropping, which is a guy from the line of scrimmage going into what should be the quarterback's 101 blitz answer, the hot route. And so that's dropping in. Let's bait a pick out of him. He looks, sees the hot dropper, comes back as a free runner's coming at him and hits Dalton Schultz for a touchdown, uh, like an in-breaking route. And that's advanced stuff. That's year three stuff that you hope to see out of a guy in year three. 
and he's already doing it halfway through his first season. So it's just like that's why you don't want to do it. Having said that, I think when the Texans do try to get into bigger personnel uh, on first and second down, that is when you can blitz them. I think they have some confusion with their protections there. So I think it's kind of you flip uh, Mike Caldwell kind of flips his usual M.O., be more aggressive on first and second down, and a little more static and a little more finesse on third and fourth down. Uh, that's kind of how I would picture this game and maybe just attack when they do get into that heavier personnel. It's it's interesting that you put that out because I thought that what they do on early downs is one of the biggest questions that I have about this game. Just a, one nugget. When he was blitzed in the last game these two teams played, CJ Stroud, 8 of 11 for 130 yards and two touchdowns. Don't and they it. blitzed him on 35% of his dropbacks. The last thing, that touchdown to Dalton Schultz, did you see the video about it this week? Like floating around NFL films? Was it the sweaty yes. center run? So Michael Dieter, who's playing center for the Texans right now, Juice Scruggs is actually back. Juice Scruggs is back this week, so we'll yeah. see how that goes. But Michael Dieter, who was their backup center, he was his jersey was really sweaty. Go and CJ Stroud asked the equipment staff to swap out the jersey. We need to stop shaming the fat, sweaty dudes. As, oh, if, no, as a fat, sweaty dude, I think that this is completely unacceptable. Yeah, I don't it's like indoors. it. I don't like yeah. it. I'm not doing no. this to the fat, sweaty dudes. Brady with his swamp ass towels that he makes guys wear. Ryan Jensen having to adjust to that. Those guys, when it's hot, are going to sweat. As a hot, mm-hmm. sweaty man, I, I just I, I want us to be a little bit more careful in the way that we talk about these guys. The big guys have feelings too. They do. Oh man, that's I would say the worst would be. When it was shorts, like it was half shells, oh, or it was awful. Just shorts, and when it, that was all oh, the sweaty shorts, I always felt so bad. I always felt no, so no. bad. That, that, it the did. sweaty shorts is definitely the worst. It did. I know. That's why I was like, "Can we go gun here? Gun, gun." <laughs> all right, yeah. You didn't have that wing tee, right? Flex bone. Yeah, there, there, <laughs> there was no yeah. gun back Sarah, in my day. I wasn't getting that, but uh, no, but that oh, I didn't know that that was that play. I did see that. Yeah. And it's hilarious because he's like. He's like, you're the one or something like that. And Dieter goes, no, you're the one. Like thinking that he's like celebrating. <laughs> he's like, you're wet. And he goes, no, you're the one. So it's a very fun exchange. If you have not seen it, it was on Inside <laughs> the NFL this week. It's worth it's watching. Again, CJ Stroud was talking to Ryan Clark on the set. He's like, I don't want to be high maintenance. I just, everything the guy says right now, everything he does, I'm just so right. fucking in. I'm so I'm in. Anyway, I'm after right. that tangent. I know. Getting back to the early down stuff for the Texans. Yeah. You flipping that, I think, is a really good observation because they want to be more complex, the Jags do, on early downs. Because what the Texans have done this year is that they've done such a great job of making defenses simple on early downs. So the Texans right now run the ball about 60% of the time on early downs, and they use a ton of heavy personnel, even though their running game hasn't been very good this year. What it reminds me of strategically is what the Niners do. Even when there were years where the Niners' run game wasn't humming, they were always running a lot on early downs to create the threat of that and force defenses into a mindset where we need to play with heavy personnel, we need to play a single high because this team likes to run the ball. And that's what the Texans have gotten. They see cover three on 45% of their early downs, which is the sixth highest rate in the league. They have shredded teams throwing the ball on early downs against those looks. Mm-hmm. They have the highest EPA per dropback in the league on early downs. The Jags, when they played last, played cover three on 70% of early down snaps. So I think that we're going to see this trend in a slightly different direction toward elite quarterback treatment. Teams are not going to start playing – teams aren't going to keep playing the Texans with these simple looks on early downs and think 12 personnel running, we're going to play this way because you're going to get carved up. So how the Jags respond to that specific problem, I think – 
could give you a little bit of insight into what the overall league-wide response is going to be over time against this Texans team. And that's also, it's like, I talked out both sides of my mouth. I'm like, hey, you got you don't want to blitz Stroud, but you should on first and second down. So that's what you're daring is, does you let him catch you? Do you let them, but you're, what you're trying to do is just kind of bait him or not, not him, but the pocket create just a negative play. Once they get behind the sticks, okay, maybe make them more predictable because I think what, what you said that because they use the run so much, it's that it's funny watching defenses just like, you have to honor it. You have to, yeah. because otherwise you have Devin it's human. It's one of those human nature things. Or it's Damian just, Pierce. It, yeah. It's one Pierce run. I know he's been banged up, but or Devin Singletary run where it's like, that's 12 yards. I'm like, nope, can't do it. Put the safety down. We got to do that. But it, it makes – when you have Nico Collins and Tank Dell playing this way and even Dalton Schultz, that's what helps. Is like you're winning the one-on-ones. And that's what you have to do when defenses are doing that to you. And that's what this quarterback and these receivers are doing right now. What we're seeing from a lot of the smart, creative defenses in the league is a lot of simulated pressures from unconventional spots on early downs. Think back to the Chiefs-Dolphins game. And all of those slot pressure simulated pressures mm-hmm. against with Trent McDuffie on early downs. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jags did some of that, where they're just yeah. sending unconventional rushers on some of those plays. And again, leaning into that more complex, confusing game plan on the back end than they did the first time and that most teams have done against the Texans so far this year. So that little chess match is going to be really cool to watch. One, one last little thing of observation just on the Texans. I do say think their drop back pass game is more diverse than a lot of the other Shanahan offenses. It's an interesting observation. Say- I would say that this is more not one-to-one as far as what they put on the field, but as far as philosophy to a Packers offense, as far as its greatest hits. Um, the drop-back passing game, which I think that when you have a quarterback that can do it, maybe that's why you do it. It's like Stafford with the Rams. It's like, yeah, let's just do all this deep drop-back stuff. But it's a little fun hybrid of things. And I think maybe they have uh, Ben McDaniels as the receiver coach, passing game coordinator. Maybe he's a holdover. So just a maybe just a proliferation of ideas or a cross pollination of ideas, and I think that's really cool. It's a real. I fun also hybrid. think that Bobby Slowick's role on those Niners teams was as they transformed from being a mostly play action team mm-hmm. to a more heavy drop back team. So I think that he was a part of that staff with Shanahan, really those two guys and not many others that were holdovers from 2021 to 2022 when they had to kind of figure out what the passing game was going to look like with CMC and there was less play action and more getting five out. So I feel like he's had to maybe seek out some answers and think about the game that way in ways that other versions of a Shanahan staff haven't over the last 10 years. That makes sense. I mean, they use different protections than I think most Shanahan offenses do, meaning just like a seven-man Mike ID. I know not many terms, but just a different protection than a lot of Shanahan guys do. So it's kind of it's fun. It's it's its own flavor of it, which I always love with these offenses because it seems like all these coaches put their little twists on it and it makes its own their own thing. On the other side of the ball, we haven't talked much about the Texans' defense at all. It's been a lot of Stroud talk, rightfully so, based on the way that he's played. But Woo! this becomes a, <laughs> this becomes a challenge worth watching for the Texans because the Jags are coming off of arguably their best game of the season offensively. So, what do you think the Jags can take from the way that they played and some of the? pillars of that game plan against Tennessee last week and potentially unleash that on the Texans this week? The I would say the heavier personnel, meaning more Luke Farrell and 12 and 13 personnel and the heavy play action stuff. I think the those alignments were a nice twist that the – not twist. They've done it before, but a nice thing to lean into. They lean into it more, yes. Leaned into it more. And it allowed them to make some creative play or explosive plays. It was safe for their offensive line. I do think this Texans pass rush has really picked up uh, the last few weeks. But I do think that when you watch the Cardinals game with Kyler Murray, 
And what the Cardinals did against this Texas defense, it translates even from what the Jags did this past week too. It's kind of nice. Same heavy play action. The Cardinals were really, if they went to 12 personnel, the Texans were matching with nickel with five DBs. So the Cardinals were like, okay, we'll go three tight ends. Now what do you do? And so the Texans match with three linebackers and four DBs. And that's because they're attacking the Texans depth right now at the linebacker position with Toa Toa out and with Jimmy Ward out at the safety position. So let's get bigger bodies and then let's just attack them that way. And so I'm curious, the Jags have already sprinkled this in, some 13 as well. Do they just kind of lean more into what was working last week? Because I think it will work this week as well. Yeah, the, the linebacker depth is a real thing because Denzel Perriman also is has suspended. So when they get those three linebackers on the field right now, even their run defense was struggling against the Cardinals because now you're relying on Corey Littleton in a way that you weren't having to before. And with Jimmy Ward out, you've got even more backups playing on the spine of the defense. And I think that you're noticing that. And the Texans, even if they were not doing it against the Cardinals, they've played base to 12 personnel at a top five rate in the NFL this year. Yeah. So if the Jags want to throw out 12, I'm curious how the Texans respond to that with their mm-hmm. linebacker injuries. And it's one of those, if you know that I know that you know. Right. If, that's, if, if, if perfect. If D'Amico's sitting there and saying, and Matt Burke, their defensive coordinator, and saying, yeah. well, I know that you want to get us there in order to throw the ball, you've been shitty at running the ball efficiently this year. Why don't we just play nickel to this and dare you to beat us on the ground? I would not be surprised if that was actually more of the answer. And with Jags kind of like, you know, they got some speedy guys, like just in theory, but you know, they have better, better DBs than they do linebackers right now. So let's just put more DBs on the field, especially what they want to do. I will say this Texans pass rush has really picked it up. Um, They've been since their bye week, they're second in sacks. Tied with the Ravens, only behind the Cowboys, and their third pressure rate. And they've gotten a lot of big plays in the run game, TFLs and run stuff. So this Texan defense, like, it's hard to run on them. So it's going to be a boom-busty type of game. Weird for the Jags' run game. But I think the passing game is going to be real interesting because it's like, I think I want the Jaguars and Press Taylor and that offensive staff keep the faith. What you what you did last week was really working. Lean more into it, even if they try to take it away. Same thing with Calvin Ridley. Keep moving him around. Yep. Keep using those alignments where he's in the stack. He's not alone on one side of the field. He's playing in some condensed splits. Just everything that they were doing last week, just keep hitting those buttons. But yep. I do think the matchup becomes it's pretty interesting when you think about the, the Texans' defensive line against this version of the Jags' offensive line that has struggled at times this year. One, one last thing, sorry. It's that this defense is one of those where you watch it without Fred Warner. And then you're like, oh, yeah. you see the same shell because it's the same stuff, same yeah. structure, everything. And then you're like, oh, 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 okay. That's okay. That's why those balls are getting completed as opposed to wipe away, w- wiped away all the time. So one, one little difference with these defenses right now. All right, let's get to what we're calling the game of the week, a massive matchup here between the Bills and the Eagles. Let's start with the Bills and their offense specifically. Obviously, we've had one game of the Joe Brady offensive coordinator era. We talked about it a little bit on Sunday's show, but I'm curious now with three, four days to sit and marinate on it. Anything that stood out to you about what feels different about the new-ish version of the Bills offense and maybe something to look at, watch as we head into this game with Philadelphia? I would say uh, better field position, but also a lot more of a leaning into, I, I think, a better player in Khalil Shakir is the first thing that stands out to me. Um, I think it's obvious just seeing what the results of some of those plays, but I think that was just an underlying problem with some of the issues that have arise. Gabe Davis getting maybe a few too many targets, and maybe they should be going to um, Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir. 
and now getting Quentin Morris back. But I think what you brought up in the, the pre-show is a fantastic difference. And I think really the only difference, which is just a little bit of jet motion. And They're using might- it more in both in both situ- in like multiple situations. So Jonathan, yeah. John, I would say Jonathan Allen. Jonathan Allen's not the quarterback for the Bills. Josh Allen this year, according to Sports Info Solutions, 20 dropbacks with jet motion. Five of those came last week. So a quarter of them all season. James Cook, 18 carries this year with jet motion. Six of them came last week. So just a little bit more dynamic before the snap, a little bit more movement, a little bit more eye candy. So I think a lot of the ideas that you're seeing from the Bills, the tackle pull run game stuff, some of the stuff that you're seeing in the passing game, it's all pretty similar. It's just being dressed up in a slightly more exciting you know, li- like lively way. I think that's what you saw last week. And if that's the only tweak, okay. If that sure. plus less turnovers is what the new Bills offense is, I'm game. Cool. But the right. other thing that you that you talked about, and it's worth bringing up, the Quentin Morris stuff and being in that version of 12 personnel, he played 20 snaps last week against the Jets. That's something to monitor because it just gives them a different feel than they had when it was 12 personnel with Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid because they can just line up and run the ball a little bit more. And that's something I think that's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah. And I also want to see, you know, you do it once. Can you keep doing it? Like, you know, the jet motion's all great. Do you start go away from it as soon as you get punched in the mouth? Like that is also what, what you got to keep an eye on. Was that just a game plan thing? Let's use jet motion because the Jets like to keep their linebackers off ball and they don't blitz a lot. That's another thing. You never know if it's just the game plan stuff. So I overall, it felt exactly the same to me, but I do think that was the one difference. But that Quentin Morris thing is very real because that is that just giving them they run two run plays, really three run plays. They run duo, they run the tackle pull stuff, and they run zone. What Quentin Morris allows, and you saw it with one of the James Cook outside runs, was now they can pin the outside. Mm-hmm. And if you have Gabe Davis and him on the field to kind of like give you those kind of blocker types, because that's what I picture Gabe Davis as that MVS role now, that's going to let you just at least get a different attack. That's your changeup now. So I just think that's so important to have. And I think that the Chiefs were getting after them on some of those perimeter runs, off-tackle runs, because those edge guys, they can get after you rushing the passer, but you can get after them in the run game. And so I think that's absolutely something to keep an eye on is how the Bills attack the perimeter. Anything else about this Bills team, the game plan they have, this version of the Bills offense, and specifically how you think it applies to this Eagles defense? Yeah, uh, it, it depends on if they carry over the Chiefs game plan or if that's what they do out of the bye or what they kind of typically do, this this Eagles defense, which is um, what we've previewed them before, is you want to spread them out horizontally and attack them out of empty, and which I could see this being a good Kincaid game. Totally. This would be more similar to the Dolphins game plan that we talked about where it's spread them out, pepper stuff on the outside and work over the middle to maybe Diggs on the, in the slot or Shakir or Kincaid in the, uh, working from the inside. If they do do the one double stuff that they leaned into with Bayard and going against Kelsey, then someone else has to win. Because I could see them doing that against Diggs. And it's like, hey, this worked. Let's try it again. Like, I, I that's what teams do. They go, why not do this more? So, but that's why you draft Don't Kincaid in the first round. That's why you try to lean in. Khalil Shakir's got to win this type of game. He can't just get the one seam route. He's got to win matchups. So I think this is going to be a really cool test for this Bills team if I think the Eagles lean into that a little bit more. Speaking of the way the Chiefs played the Eagles on the other side of the ball, I feel like the Chiefs showed us something about how you can make the Eagles uncomfortable and get them off of their plan. We talked about it when we broke down the game on Monday night, but all of the simulated creeper pressure type stuff that we saw where they're bringing a DB but only rushing four, 
it spooks Jalen Hurts a little bit. It, it, it gets him off his plan. And I think that you saw the Eagles kind of withdraw into themselves in terms of how they were approaching and how they were reacting to that stuff. We talked about it. A lot of screens, just a lot of the answers we saw from them last year when teams would try to blitz them out of their game plan. So I wonder if you're Sean McDermott, that defensive staff, you watch what Spags did against them. How many of those ideas are you just going to straight up steal as you think about how you want to attack this team right now? It's a, do you have the Chiefs DBs too? That, that's, this, that's the problem, right? I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it, the, your, your personnel is not there, especially with all these guys banged yeah. up. Taron Johnson has a concussion. Dane Jackson has a concussion. Taylor right. Rapp is not practicing. All three of them haven't been practicing. So if you're dealing with those, do you simplify the game plan? So no. a lot of layers to consider here as you think about that matchup. And, and that's what's hardest because if you – it's – Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you do stay static, that's how what the Eagles want you to do. Mm-hmm. They're kind of static themselves. They just want to put you on islands and beat you up. They want Jalen Hurts to go single high, you're dead. Too high, you're dead. Like run game, you're dead. So if you're gonna just be static and show the same looks again, I wish. Hopefully, they have you know Johnson or just something uh, with that, those safeties because what they did against the Dolphins again, that game plan on both sides, they brought the simulated pressures there, and that's how they got. They got two a couple times. You just got to shift the post snap picture. That's what Spags was doing over and over again, and just manipulating the pass re- or the pass protection. So, yeah, I mean, you can take les- lessons, but it's like you really got to lean into it. And I think that's a lot of leaning into the punch. But but that's what you're where you're at right now in the season. The other thing about the Bills' defense that I think is particularly interesting when you think about how it applies to the Eagles, they play almost they play less man coverage than almost any team in the NFL. It's down near the bottom of the league, especially on third down. It's like 16, 17% of snaps. Mm -hmm. So some of those easy answers to the test before the play even starts that the Eagles just destroy teams on. It's like, oh, single high man, I'm throwing the ball to A.J. Brown deep or I'm throwing the ball to Devontae Smith deep. There's going to be less of that against this Bills team. So how does it look when you're having to read stuff out, you're having to be a little bit more methodical, and there's no Dallas Goddard? So I still have faith in this Eagles team to find pathways. They always seem to, but this is just a very unique sort of challenge presented by this Bills defense, even if they haven't been playing very well this year. Just the coverage structures and the approach, I think, is it's well-suited to making the game a little bit harder on Philadelphia than how some other teams play. McDermott is a good coach, like as much as like he he will game plan stuff up. So I, I'm it's a great test, I think, for both units. After the Bills kind of had a really cool rejuvenating performance, the Zach Wilson mouth mouthwash, and I think the uh, uh, the Eagles kind of got punched in the mouth a little bit by the Chiefs, and I'm curious how they respond. So it's it's gonna be fun. Huge, huge game for the Bills playoff chances. When we're looking at the Bills and they're standing in the AFC, literally, they're standing in the standings. One of the things that thing is worrying people about their ability to break through all of this is the schedule they have down the stretch. Well, if you start beating the good teams on that schedule, then that yeah. shit doesn't matter anymore. So if you knock off a 9-1 and one Eagles team as part of this, right now, looking at the Sumer Sports playoff leverage odds that they threw out today that Ted Seth tweeted – 31.5% for the Bills if they lose this game, 53% chance mm. to make the playoffs if they win this game. That's a huge swing, but it oh, makes wow. a lot of sense. Like if you start knocking off these games against really good teams, then it doesn't matter how t- difficult your schedule is. You're very right. much in position to kind of grab one of those spots. So this is where it starts. Like this brutal back half of the season, this is where it begins for the Bills, and we're going to find out a lot about them starting this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, it's time to go under the hood for people unfamiliar. This is just a segment where we like to take a little bit of a deeper look at a unit typically, but in this case, we're doing an entire team because we have not really talked about the Dolphins that much. They've had either bad matchups or they've been playing in prime time. So we haven't really dug into really what they're doing on both sides of the ball. So let's start with the Dolphins offense, which was on a historic pace over the first few weeks of the season, have since come back down to earth a little bit. You know, they're still a very good offense, but they're not clicking nearly at the level they were earlier in the year. So when you're looking at the Dolphins offense right now, what do you think has led to this fall back to the pack that we've seen recently? You, you know how we all know it was on a historic pace? I bet you opposing coaches knew they were on a historic pace. You know what opposing <laughs> coaches love? motivation. <laughs> hey, look at you. This team has sent all the records. They say we can't stop them. They scored 70. You know, that's that's so they're getting the funky look treatment. They're getting the specific game plan treatment now, which is a respect thing, but it also is how do you answer to it? Like what, what how do you respond? And right now in the I think some of what Spags did with the Chiefs right now. Spags is having so much fun this year. Like he's just like he's having a ball right it's now. It's one of the coolest everything. things to watch in the league right now. He's doing everything. Sorry, but yeah, Chiefs defense is a joy. I know Eagles, you won the game. Like, congrats. You guys have a great team. But like, what the Chiefs defense is doing is a lot of fun. But so what he did in, in, uh, in Germany and then now what the Raiders did last week, it's a lot of the umbrella stuff. But it's what I mean by that is the, corner, the corners are six to eight yards off. They're playing top down. Just as the safeties in a quarter shell are playing top down, those safeties aren't really deep. They're 10, 12 yards the corners are eight, 10 yards, and they're trying to keep guys off the line of scrimmage in the stack look when they are in sub personnel, when they are in nickel. And this is kind of how Dean Peace defended Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in the 2019 playoffs. Everybody off the ball. Like it was just so we can say, see everything, all the movement, and then come downwards. And I would say that the other thing is when the Dolphins, because they like to use Alec Ingold, they like to use two tight ends some, sometimes as well, is to create five man surfaces. And what that does is put big bodies on the outside. We talked about Leo Chanel um, after the Chiefs Dolphins putting Leo Chanel on the outside. You don't let those tiny receivers crack on these skinny little DN types or outside linebacker types. No, let's get a 260 pounder that just blows that up so they can't set the edge. So that is what the two kind of methods of the Dolphins two personnel looks that they give and what teams are kind of, you know, stunting them a little bit with. They're saying, hey, you're going to get a couple big plays, but let's limit it to four or five as opposed to a 10 or a dozen. And we'll just live to see another day, make it tough on you on first down. 
And the other part of it on first down, one of the differences that we've seen is their running game has just been a little bit less effective over the last month or so than it was early in the season. They've dealt with offensive line injuries. You know, they're down multiple guards at this point. Lester yeah. Cotton was starting for them at left guard against the Raiders. Liam Eikenberg is over there at right guard with Robert Hunt and Isaiah Wynn Hurt. They've obviously Tron Armstead is back, but there's been a lot of guys yeah. cycling in yeah. and out. So they haven't run the ball nearly as well. And on second down is also where they've had trouble running the ball. I was looking at this since week four, the Dolphins lead the league in the average yards they have to go on third down. It's 8.73. It's like, that's surprising because they're, they're so good on first down. Their success rate was near the top of the NFL, but there are a couple things I think that have kind of crept up recently that have put them in bad down and distance situations on third down specifically. They have 10 holding penalties over that stretch, which is two off the league lead. So you remember that Chiefs game? They had a couple big ones where it goes from second and two to second and 12, and it kind of torpedoes a drive. And also, their second down runs over this stretch. I know this is very granular, but I was trying to figure out how we get here. On second down runs, a quarter of them are going for negative yardage. So they've had a lot of negative plays. So it's been a lot more boom bust when they've been running the ball on early downs over this stretch, and it's put them in bad situations on third down. This team is not built for third down. They use more play action than almost anybody, the way they want to attack the middle of the field. So they go from being a top five-ish offense in success rate on first and second down to below average on third down. So if you can continue to make it a little bit harder for them to run the ball, and I think teams have gotten a sense of how they want to attack you on the perimeter. Yeah. And I think yeah. that it's they haven't found the right or the correct change-ups and counters yep. to that quite yet. So I feel like they're still in that feeling out process. And if you're going to get them to third down, they just become a different sort of offense that's, that's far less dangerous. And I think that's kind of what we've been seeing recently. It's actually the – it seems like turtling, but it's the best – their best answer right now is like I formation runs and like duo duo is the best run in the NFL right now. And I'm not just saying that because that's a bit, it's the best run. It's the best <laughs> answers to what defenses are doing. I'm not kidding. It's because the safeties are out of the freaking box as answers to whatever this defense funky look they want to do. And you have answers to all of it. So it's like, it's the best run, but the issue with duo, if you have the dolphins offensive line, mm-hmm. do you, you can't lean into that. A dozen times. You can do two or three times, but a dozen yeah, you times. You got to be more smoke and mirrors in the passing game than that, or in the running game than that. In the run game. Yes. That's, and that's the limitations of this personnel. So it's a fun puzzle to try and figure it out. It really is. I mean, you have one of the best coaches trying to figure it out. And the other answer that you can have is, oh, we'll RPO it. Well, but then the safeties are flying down. Again, remember that quarter shell. So now it's a damn, uh, how do we attack the safeties? Well, we got to attack, hold on to the ball a little bit more. Again, putting the offensive line strain on the offensive line. So that's it, another it third down curious. consideration. When you're yeah. putting that offensive line in defined dropback situations, that can get you into a little bit of trouble. So it's, just does a lot of different things coming from a yeah. lot of different directions as to why this offense hasn't been quite as good as it was over the first month or so of the season. And, yeah, quite as good. That's exactly good. Because I was going to say, at any moment, they can score a touchdown. They're still any one moment. of the most explosive teams in the league. Like, they, they absolutely like, so, are. We're saying all this that it's not a historic, like, greatest show on turf kind of pace anymore, but still a very good offense that in a very tough defensive environment, creating explosive plays, which is the hardest things to do right now. I will say that the holding penalties or those penalties are probably tied into, again, offensive line, but also outside runs. Yes. Outside runs. Well, mm-hmm. no, it's, oh, it's all just, <laughs> it's all connected, guys. <laughs> the good news for the Dolphins, though, is that as their offense has fallen back to the pack a little bit, 
their defense has shown massive improvement over the first, over the last four weeks. So over the first six weeks of the season, Dolphins defense 28th in defensive success rate. Over the last four weeks, third. Only the Browns and the Jets have had a better defensive success rate over the last month than the Dolphins. Why? (laughs) Explain this to me. Why, what have the improvements in the Dolphins off our defense been rooted in? First and foremost, uh, having Jalen Ramsey back is a lot of fun. He's pretty good, man. He's a very good football player, and they have him back on the outside, playing outside corner. The Rams, everyone remembers, it feels like a a lifetime ago, uh, had him in the slot. And what that does is it kicks Kohu back into the slot. So now you have two spots going from eh to very good. And that's a lot of fun. I sometimes say going below average to average is fun. Going below average to very good is a lot of fun. And I think that's the first and foremost thing. So now what was an answer for a lot of offenses was spread it out, pick on the non-Howard side is now not turning into such a good answer. Now spreading them out and attacking over the middle. Now you got Kohu right there in the slot making plays when you want to try and do that. So it's getting, it's getting one of those things that uh, that they are just finding better answers and also that their defensive front is playing very well right now and very stout right now against the run, which has had been a huge weakness of this defense to start the season. The idea that you had below average cornerback play on the outside and now you have a guy who's playing like the best corner in the league again on the outside, that's huge. And he's taking the ball away. That That's yeah. another thing. I mean, you can be an elite corner and giving your team elite production without that sort of turnover mm-hmm. production. And so the fact that he's been taking the ball away already over the last couple of weeks and it's not – Tipped ball bullshit. You saw the like, diving pick. The, right? the, the like, diving pick on that play is first of all, the, the receiver has to come back flatter on that you play. Keep going. Like, you he, ha- he, ha- it, he has to. But even with that in but mind, but that's what good corners punish. hundred percent. If you're not yep. on it, and so him making that play, there's nothing cheap about that. Like you making a diving nope. interception on an in breaker as a quarter's like, oh. corner, that that's a real that's real stuff. So that's been yeah. great to see. And then along with that, Jalen, they also got Jalen Phillips back. Up front, he's making a consistent impact. Even earlier in the season when he was playing, he was in and out of the lineup. He was dealing with injuries. So seeing him back to closer to the guy we expected him to be coming into the season, that's been really encouraging. And I really think that they're starting to figure out how they want to attack teams up front with some of those games and stunts. Because they're so good at that. And you can just feel... The term you always go back to is that edginess that they're able to create in the pocket. And they're so good at that with their personnel. And I think we're getting to that spot. But also we've seen a couple tweaks schematically in some of the things that they're trying to do. So early in the season, they were really struggling to stop the run. They had one of the worst run defense success rates in the league. And on early downs for the first six weeks of the year, they were playing with some of the lightest boxes in the NFL. It went from 60% of their plays having six or fewer guys in the box, which was number one in the league on first down, to 44% over the last four games, which is 11th. They went from having one of the worst run defense success rates in the league to the second best on first down over the last month or so, which again, that allows your Jalens to really crank things up on passing downs. So it's all started to kind of work in concert with each other here over the last month or so. Yeah, it really is. The... It's hard to run on them because you got Christian Wilkins in a contract year and he's playing like it. And then you got, <laughs> I mean, you got like just stoutness on the outside. So again, it's hard to go outside right there. So you got tough on the interior, tough to get zoned because of how they, their fronts are. And then if they do pop one, you got David Long cleaning up all the run game stuff. So it's hard. And one of the answers, like I said before, was, hey, attack over the middle. And that's gotten harder. 
So it's, yeah, like you said, it's clicking all together and it's coming all together and they're playing just with confidence. How they played against the Chiefs in the second half, I mean, a lot of teams playing against the Chiefs in the second half, but they, they played with just actual confidence. They really did. And so, yeah, I, I, this this Dolphins performance uh, on defense the last couple of weeks is very encouraging over each side of the bye. I also think that sometimes it just takes a while to get adjusted to a new defensive yeah. system. Like what yeah. they were doing with Boyer last year and what they were doing with Flores before that, it is a massive, massive departure. We've talked about this. I mean, it's harder to go from a more drastically different style of defense yeah. than they have over the last couple of years. You're Vikings fans this year? They're just- <laughs> What is this? <laughs> well, that's even what Brian Flores is doing right now is like some Willy Wonka bullshit. Like it's not even worth comparing to what he did over the last two years in Miami when he was no. there. It's his own thing. It's totally its own thing. Tarantino it is up there. So fun to go into True Media right now and just sort by certain defensive statistics and just see where the Vikings are compared to everyone else. On Monday night, watching the Eagles Chiefs game. I looked at how many defensive snaps each team has had with six or more pass rushers because I, I figured the Eagles haven't done this very much. They did it a lot more against the Chiefs. So where do they sit? The highest teams in the league, non-Vikings category, are at like 45, 50 plays. Vikings were at 113. Oh, it's the best. So the, twice as much as any other team in the league. So it's either big blitzes or drop eight. The Vikings lead drop the league in cover two rate. Like they yeah. are extreme outliers in almost every single category. It is absolutely hilarious. The min-max defense. It's the best. Bring everyone or drop everyone. And it works. It's great. The 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 It is the older brother defense. I'm, I keep – we use that analogy a lot, but it is like – I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. And then also they just bring everybody. It sucks. <laughs> so a lot of lot of stuff happening with the Dolphins oh. right now. Again, it, it's as they've fallen off on the- offense a little bit, the defense has gotten a lot better. And I think it's important to consider that when you look at the landscape of the AFC. I know yeah. that the offensive regression is probably a little bit frustrating if you're a Dolphins fan, but you can talk yourself in to where you sit in the hierarchy because there are no completely – put together teams on both sides of the ball in the AFC right now. You know, the Ravens, I think, are very, very good on both sides of the ball, but they're a little bit banged up on offense. We've obviously talked so much about the Bills' struggles in certain areas. The Chiefs' offense has struggled to find itself a little bit. So even if it's been an uneven kind of up-and-down year for Miami, I think in the end, what this team looks like right now is still very relevant in the entire AFC picture. It is. That's what other teams have fallen off. It's fun – or interesting to see this unit that was the negative, like where I just kept going, like I can't can't bring up the Dolphins because of that defense. Now it's like, oh, now what? So it's and I think really where the question mark becomes the offense with one of the most innovative offensive coaches. It's going to be a very fun kind of journey to watch him figure out these answers as they try to make the playoffs. But they're still a good team. They're still yeah, a very good team. They absolutely are. And I think the talent has – you've started to see the talent shine on defense. The talent has been able to win that's, out that's on that side of the ball. And that's why I was so bullish on them coming into the year. It's like Vic Fangio plus this talent, they'll figure it out. And it took a while, but I think yeah. we've started to arrive toward that place. And one of the reasons we wanted to dig into this is – a lot of people are going to be watching the Dolphins this week. They got that yes. island game now on Friday as all of us are going to be sitting like regretful pieces of shit on the couch after what we did to ourselves on Thursday night. So as you sit there questioning your choices and the Jets choices, you can maybe have a little better feel for what this Miami team is right now. I like that. That's good. Oh, there's Jalen Ramsey. Oh, <laughs>
speaking of uh, some terrible choices and living with your own, with living with some consequences, game we wanted to talk about here. We're, we're gonna check in Did down we? the back half of the season here <laughs> about just just a tankathon watch every once in a while. Games that have particularly important implications on the top of this year's draft. And boy, there is no better game this week than the two and eight Patriots currently picking third, playing against the three and eight New York Giants who are currently picking fifth. These two teams gave us two of the best. These two franchises gave us two of the best Super Bowls we've ever seen. So many championships, so many great moments to arrive at this place with these two teams where they are both a punchline and we're getting who knows at quarterback playing against Tommy DeVito here in week 12. Uh, Oh, how the mighty have fallen, my friend. Uh, Three quarterbacks for the Patriots. He got first team reps this weekend, including Will Greer, who's signed, <laughs> sure, with your first round pick and, and his doppelganger, Bailey Zappi. Uh, did you see DeVito did not get the game ball after after they won? Who would they give it to? <laughs> uh, probably Saquon, if I were to give it to oh, someone. God. But, uh, but yeah, but it was pretty funny. I think a reporter asked, and Dave was like, no. <laughs> so how do you think they feel about being at pick number five right now as opposed to uh, top three? Uh, yeah, they're, I, I did a mock draft and I said, dude, this is not ideal. How about a receiver? <laughs> is this okay for you guys? Does that work? But uh, yeah, I'm very, very interested to watch this game, especially just the storylines of what the quarterback spots that it's just, I don't know who's starting for the Patriots, which is just, are we kidding? Like, this is where we're at this point. This is exactly where this franchise is at this point. <laughs> I think it's an important thing to consider because we haven't really dug into this very much. And I think there'll be plenty of time and space to do this in the back half of the season. The idea that Bill Belichick, a Bill Belichick coach team is now a punchline, right? Like this team is a joke We're we are, we are making fun of this game at their expense. And I think justifiably so based on the way that they have played, we haven't really broached the fact that he's likely going to get fired at the end of the year. And there are teams I mean, that's the rumblings over the last couple of weeks, but oh, who would hire Bill Belichick? You know, would he land in Washington? Would he go to the Chargers? Do teams want Bill Belichick to be their head coach right now based on the way the last couple of years in New England have gone? Like, I know he's the greatest coach of all time, but there's going to be a lot of untangling about the last couple of years of the Bill Belichick era, what they mean, what may happen if he goes somewhere else, whether he's going to be done coaching. And I think this game specifically kind of pulls all of that into the light when you consider what this team looks like against this current version of the Giants. When wait till you hear my touts. Uh when, when <laughs> uh, no, I was just thinking. But when starting last year, when you see the special teams kind of just unravel. That that is that's the coal in the, the, the canary in the coal mine is the special that teams. That was like hmm, I mean and then the Jacoby Myers lateral against the Raiders. He's not with the Raiders, so maybe he knew something. But just, yeah, there was just kind of warning signs happening. And just a lot of the incompetence, just the shrug eh, about the offensive stuff and just all the kind of like, really, this is your guys' answer to stuff? O'Brien, Bill, not Bill O'Brien, but last year. Bill O'Brien, I, I understand. Bill O'Brien is a fine answer. What happened yes. last year is unacceptable year. on every level. For a second-year quarterback, you're like, what are you what are you doing? A guy you drafted in the first round. It's not just a guy that you're like, hey, let's give a shot. This is a guy you invested in. And I, it's just a very peculiar kind of thing. And just a lot of the stuff is that it's a lot of the same people there, always. That's the Patriot way. That's what they like. And a lot of that, it's like, where's the fresh ideas coming? 
where are different ways to think about it. It's yeah. It just seems like if you want, if he is a free agent after the season, which is just so crazy to think, but it's very realistic. You're getting 70 year old Bill Belichick and not 60 year old Bill Belichick. And you're not getting that kind of guy, which is very weird to think of, but that's the reality right now. If you're a team that's rebuilding or restarting or looking for a reset, do you want 72 year old Bill Belichick overseeing like a three to four year rebuilding project for you? Outside of winning that initial moment where the guy with all the Super Bowl rings is the one sitting at the press conference table, I don't know how many benefits that plan has to Washington or Carolina or the Chargers, any of those teams. I really don't. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe it's short-sighted. Maybe it's recency bias. But if I were a fan of one of those teams, I would not be excited if the answer that Josh Harris comes to as they're trying to do this whole new rebrand refresh with what the Washington franchise is, is landing on Bill Belichick at this stage of his career. In a weirdest way, Bill Belichick would be like the candy cell, the sugar cell. Like, ooh, that's yeah. fun. That's nice. You're winning the headline. And then when you actually like – you get no substance out of it potentially. So that that is just the weirdest way to – Think about it, but that's kind of what it feels like, as opposed to maybe eating your vegetables with uh, you know some of these other coaches and going through those that hiring process. Last thing to mention here: How are we describing the Joe Judge aspect of this? Is this a Joe Judge revenge game, or is this a Giants revenge against Joe Judge game? Man, I don't. Who do you think is more motivated to win this game, Joe Judge or Saquon Barkley, because of Joe Judge's involvement? (laughs) I think Saquon. Absolutely I think so too. Saquon. Yes. <laughs> any re- any remaining Gi- Giants players are the most motivated. It's their revenge game. More than I, I think that is 100% correct. What was, what was Joe Judge's title again? You it's it a, so I was looking at the staff because I was curious. If you look at the Patriots team website, okay, you have Bill Belichick. You have the offensive staff. You have the defensive staff. He was on none of those. And I was like, well, where's Joe Judge? Isn't he still on the coaching staff? Control he that. has his, his own seg- section. Right under Belichick, and it's just assistant head coach. So that's what Joe Judge is doing these days. Patriots probably could have done with some new blood over the last three or four years. Probably could have done with some. Think? It's funny because you were talking about, oh, a three to four year rebuilding project. It's like, that's what they just had. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Think about how that went. Think about how that went and how that looked in practice. You want (laughs) to sign up for that right now if you're another team? I'm good. shot. I'm good. I, I don't. I don't need Bill Belichick playing out the string and trying to win those 30 more games that he needs for the all-time win record. I, I, that's. I don't think anyone needs that right now. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right. A couple more games we wanted to hit that have pretty massive playoff implications for the teams involved. First one, Saints-Falcons. Saints are 5-5. Five and five, Falcons are 4-6. and six. Saints win keeps them in sole position of first place. Falcon win, Falcons win means that they're atop of the division, possibly with the Bucks as well, which we will get to. So not really digging into the X's and O's of this game, but just the implications of it, massive as it relates to Huge. the NFC South playoff race as we get toward the end of the season. Quasi loser leaves town match. Kind of a yeah, foot out. I, yeah, I, yeah. Both yeah. teams like, are in it. That. So the yeah. Falcons, if we go back to those the playoff leverage odds, right yeah. now if you look at this according to Sumer Sports – if the Falcons win this game, they would have a 40% chance of making the playoffs. If they lose this game, it drops to 17%. So that's a pretty huge drop-off. For the Saints, it goes from 82% essentially if they win this game to 60% if they don't. So the swing, depending on how the outcome here, yeah. the outcome looks here, is massive for both of these teams. Yeah. It's yeah, both are coming off the bye. I like how kind of the NFL's been doing that, where it's just kind of, you know, both teams coming off those and it's kind of a, okay, here we go. This is you guys for the last seven weeks. Let's see it. <laughs> you guys got to make your point. You have your buy. You got a, a, kind of almost that halfway point. Obviously, we don't know what the Saints QB situation because Derek Carstone could catch a protocol. I do think he's that. practicing. Practicing today. So I, I, okay. I, do, I do think he will be back, yes. Okay. So I, I kind of figured because seeing Jameis kind of put some spark in there, <laughs> I figured he'd be coming back. Uh, but no, but then the other side, Desmond Ritter's back. Can't avoid it, and here he is back with the uh, with the Falcon side, and I'm curious to watch that. This defense as well that I was liking has had some moments at the end, and Richie Grant has kind of gotten exposed. So very excited to see what both teams come up with on either side of the ball because it's been interesting. You know, it's all four of them. I want to talk about the Desmond Ritter thing before we move on because yeah. this is a this is very this is unique in the way that they've handled this. This is different. I can't remember a team approaching their young quarterback like this where when they benched him the first time i was kind of like like really like now now you're gonna bench him like after everything that he all the struggles early in the season he had some nice moments if you look back at the tampa game if you look at the houston game the way he was throwing the ball obviously the turnovers in the bucks game were crippling for them but down to down he was looking better and then they bench him and then they bring him back and so my understanding after talking to some people about this is that it really was done with his confidence and best interests in mind. So this wasn't a, a moment where they benched him. And what we see typically with quarterback benchings is, all right, this, it was this guy's problem. This guy was the problem. We're moving on from him. And now that we're moving on from him, we're going to be just fine. And re- you're really tying some of the failings to that guy that you're putting on the bench. That's not the way that they saw this. And that's not the way that they've approached this. So I think this really was about giving him a reset moment to kind of take a step back not be in his head about some of the mistakes that he was making Mm -hmm. and allow him to play a little bit 
just less afraid than he was the last yeah. time we saw him in that Tennessee game. And whether it works or not, who knows? But I can't remember a team doing this so quickly. You know, you can argue that the Jets said they were doing this with Zach Wilson. The Jets traded for Aaron Rodgers. Like Zach Wilson was never supposed to play again. Yeah. So doing this two weeks later and really treating it like just a pause, reset, refresh, let's take a deep breath approach with Desmond Ritter – I'm curious how it works out because I can't remember a team doing it quite this way recently. Yeah. And, you know, he's a third round pick. Like a first rounder, it's more like, hey, you're our guy. We're going to yeah. stick with you. So you kind of always have that in your back of your mind. Like, hey, okay. No matter what, all the blemishes I have, I'm the guy as long as they talk to you that way. Uh, but it is interesting. It's very interesting because, I mean, athletes, especially quarterback, it's all about confidence. And you can't, if you, we talk about those NFL windows and just hesitating a hitch late. You know, it's the Al Pacino uh, speech in any given Sunday. That's true. <laughs> quarter second late, quarter inch too slow. And that Tennessee fast. game is a perfect example where he I think hesitating. He's, he's a little bit afraid to make mistakes because yep. he was, and he's holding out of the ball a tick longer yep. than he should. And then a different sort of mistake becomes self-inflicted. The, and I think the, that's starting. To, we started to see that happening. The Titans game. It seemed to me that one of the plays got called wrong which it was after a sack and I could tell from just how the alignment was and the protection of the next play. I think he took another sack after. And then they had a choice route to Bijan Robinson and Bijan sat down and Desmond ripped that thing so hard. He threw that thing like through Bijan from five yards away. And in my mind, that was a stressed pass. Yeah. If that makes sense. Okay. I know where I'm throwing this. I'm, I'm throwing with anticipation. I know it's no touch, no like, Hey, which chill. It was like, he just wanted to get, Free of the ball and like, I'm not going to make a mistake. I know what I'm doing and it still ended up in a mistake. That to me seems stressed. And so this is just really interesting. It's a, <laughs> of course it's Ritter. It's, of course it's just going to be an interesting plot line. I'm telling you all the underlying stats when I'm watching them, that's why I kind of would get frustrated. It's like the down to down stuff was good. He makes good decisions. He is a smart quarterback. It's just that, is he the most creative thrower? No, but we're seeing moments of that. I thought he was just worth investing in even with the turnovers. So I, I'm very interested to see this last seven weeks because I think it could be there can be some dividends paid if it does work out. When they benched him, I thought it was over just because we oh, don't yeah. see teams typically go back to guys after they were benched. But it really does seem like this was the plan all along where they were trying to protect him from himself a little bit. And I think part of that and you had some some inklings about this inklings is that want- talking about that Vikings defense and that yes. being that kind of crazy min-max defense. The worst defense for a young, uneven quarterback. Yeah. Feeding him to that Vikings defense when things were rattling around in his brain the way that yep. they were, I think they wanted to avoid some of that. And yep. now we see him maybe come out a little bit cleaner on the other side. And again, it's an experiment. We'll see if it works, see it if is. it doesn't. But I do think that there was some thought put into why they approached it this way. Which is which is interesting. It's, it's such a weird team. But the uh, also just pound the rock, man. Just get Bijan going. <laughs> that would be good too. The whole line's got to pick it up. But if you want to see a quarterback start to lose confidence against that Vikings defense, and I, I'm not trying to call him out, but just watch that game, is Derek Carr. And when when he's guessing in your head, is this the look? I, I have to throw into a tight window and I have to be right. Oh, shoot. I'm, I, I, am I wrong? And then bad stuff happens. It, it's just a da-da-da-da-da. Watch Zach Wilson play. He guesses a lot. He's like, I think that's my answer. They told me to go with this. Drew Locke, that's one another guy that's like guessing on the stuff. So that's what you don't want to devolve to. So I, I think it's just, it's, again, I, it's thoughtful and interesting. One more playoff game, play game with playoff implications to mention here. Bucks-Colts is kind of a big game. 
If, it if is. the Colts win this game, Why they're not? six and five and very much alive in the AFC wildcard race. And if the Bucks win this game, then they're right there in the NFC South race. So this game, again, that we never would have anticipated having any sort of importance probably at this stage of the calendar, suddenly becomes a worthwhile game that is absolutely worth tuning into on Sunday. The Tony Dungy Bowl. It, it's right. going to be it. That's right. It, it is. Yeah. But yeah, the, this Colts seems a lot of fun. They do they punch above their weight. Both sides of the ball, they got some cool, interesting players. Uh, like Gardner Minshew actually manages it okay. Uh, you know, I, I just want Anthony Richardson back with them. This is such a house money, house's money year for them, I think, because it's just like whatever happens, this happens. Next year we get the quarterback. So whatever happens as far as our record this year, this is great. So this Bucks team, though, you can see how they're a little long in the tooth as I as I watch them. Levante David, it's it's kind of. He's a little tough this year. He's kind of looking like Bobby Wagner a little bit. So I, I'm feeling a little bad for one of my favorite – or one of our favorite players. Oh, he's one of my favorite players um, of the last 10 years. Period. Yeah. Ever since we played him in Nebraska, uh, in Nebraska 2011, I was like, who the hell is that guy? He went in the second round. I was like, he's good. Uh, but, the, yeah, the Bucks team, you kind of know what they are. And uh, it just kind of – they could punch up other weight. They got players. So They got players. Be, Their offense be around. Has, has been much better than they're I anticipated it being. I think yeah, ba- the- Baker has played some – Really good football by his standards this season. He's calming down. He's not trying to do the dumb scrambles anymore, and he's kind of his pressure to sack less. rate this year. If you look at quarterbacks around the, the NFL, it's like top three. He is it? it's one of the lowest in the league. So him yeah. not taking sacks and him being a little bit less frantic in the pocket behind an offensive line that is much better than yes. like anyone could have anticipated coming into the year. Oof. They are so much more watchable and competent yep. offensively than I I predicted them to be, and that's Agreed. given them a shot even as the defense has hit some struggles in stages. And, and the defense, again, is gonna it's always going to be that funky knuckleball look. So they'll get some teams. But they'll make it hard on you, but other teams are going to get them. Like the elite teams, obviously. But that's where they're at right now. They're right. They're in this muck in the middle, but they're worthy. They have enough players and they're playing well. So it's like, yeah. This is going to be one of those games when you're, you're flipping through your multi-view on Sunday on Sunday ticket. If one of the options gives you Bucks Colts, just just give it a thought. Because it, 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 it does have some worthwhile aspects. Speaking of the multi-view, time for Win My Fourth Screen. Arguments that you guys send me for why your game should be a part of that four-game mix in the early slate. I did not solicit emails this week because we were doing it early. So I was like, ah, oh, it's okay. We'll take the week off. We had some enterprising listeners send me some on their own, and I really appreciate it because we got some good Way ones. Way to go, guys. This one from Jonathan Lee in New Zealand. He says, Dear Robert and Tice, I, I never get a first name. When, whenever someone else gets a last name, so it's good, for, good, good for you. Last name too. Yeah, so all there my you high go. school friends call me that. <laughs> so. He says, a friend of mine ruminated this week that Andre 3000 releasing a flute album in 2023 is great and all, but it does contribute to that feeling that culture is kind of wrapping itself up. Empires fall, nations go from great to merely okay, that HBO static intro hits slightly less hard with each passing year, and every winner feels just that unsettlingly bit warmer than the last. We flail for that dopamine embrace of something, anything familiar, that we may juice on nostalgia hits to remember the good old days, to feel alive again, nay, to feel anything again. What better than to celebrate the lunatic jamming of our collective and tropic gas pedals to the floor than to dedicate actual hours of your life and mine to the New York football giants and the New England Patriots this Sunday? 
My God, man. Do we even need to get into it? The Dave Gettleman era where we overdrafted a running back, a Daniel Jones, and a Kadarius Tony all in consecutive drafts. That time that Joe Judge called it a sneak kneel on third and nine rather than running literally anything of competitive consequence, mercifully sealing his firing. Or that time that we booed Eli, our literal derp king, the royal Brady kryptonite himself, and his giant's ring of honor ceremony, just because we were feeling that toxic on that day and had run out of better ways to show our feelings to Emperor Mara. And hey, goddamn, it worked. For a second there, we had hope. We were promised a new direction, a shiny, beautiful new coach from Buffalo, and a nerd king to rue our drafts along with him. They have the keys to the castle, intoned Mara. I'm going to let them cook. And then they maxed Daniel Jones, regressed to the mean, and got us right back to where we always were. Angry, pissed off, buzzed on four loco and broken dreams, yearning for the days of competency dressed in blue, and once again ashamed to wear our Giants gear unironically in public. This game is going to be an affront to football itself. The rematch to two of the greatest Super Bowls of my lifetime comes not with a bang, not even with a whimper, but instead with a stench so powerful and so strong, so goddamn toxic, that calling this football and charging people to watch it represents as much of a moral dilemma as it does a medically hazardous one. And yet, we're going to watch this game, every wretched second of it, and we're going to be fucking riveted by it, because one of these two formerly proud teams will leave the odds-on favorite for the rights to draft a savior next year, and the other will get to hold the other team's skull aloft, predator-style, yelling, you think you're better than us, in the most empty of Pyrrhic victories. Do either of these teams actually want to win? How hard can you really tank in the NFL anyway? They're not really going to start Will Greer against us, 4D chess style, right? I don't know, Robert, but so help me God, we're going to find out. This is our beautiful death ship, baby, and we're going to ride it screaming into the crust of the earth, Dr. Strangelove style. They're going to be screening this game in hell, and I got good news. We're all invited, every last one of us. So So tune in with us, Robert. How bad could it possibly be? Wow. Wow. I don't even know which part of that is my favorite. I don't either. What's the Dr. Strangelove? The Dr. Strangelove part is great. Holding the skull off Predator style is great. That was good. Uh, Just so many great layers to this one. So sincerely appreciate Jonathan bringing the heat during Thanksgiving week. So very much. uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. As you're reading that, I see that uh, Daniel Jones is having surgery. He's eight to ten months of rehab. So... Good stuff. All right. It's time for Tyson's Touts. Your three favorite picks of the week. One quick update on our wins league. Okay. You are 33 and 18. I am 31 and 20. So I'm a couple games back. I honestly thought it was even worse than that. But this whole Jake Browning thing is uh, my my goose is cooked. There's no way around it. You're a huge Bills fan. Oh, my God. I need them to go on an absolute heater. I need, I, I need the Bills to go on a heater. I need the Jags to have like a 14-win season yeah. as they cruise through the rest of the AFC South. And I need the Eagles to go 16-1. and one. Like, Those are my only shots. And have you seen the Eagles back half of the schedule? It's awful. It's brutal. It's oh, awful. I know. They got some, I know. They're going to be – we're going to mention them like every single week. It's like, all right, let's talk about like the special teams of the Eagles, how they match up because <laughs> they're just going to be in so many good games. So I'm still theoretically just, in it, but I'm in a very bad the, spot. The Falcons going back to Ritter made me just kind of go like, okay, the, at least, hey, like a, it's like a Viking funeral. The Chargers just, losing know? last week, is that was the one where I was like, you got to be fucking I'm sure. kidding me. You, you got to be kidding me. 
But I, I, I might as we well just give up hope. Hard. Just hanging on to anything right now is just not worth it because it's just going to give me a false sense of hope, and it's just not worth speaking, it. I, I'm not speaking of which, how about Justin Fields? Wow, he had a hell of a game on Sunday. <laughs> I talk, it was, we talked it, about it with Chase this week. Watching it all twenty-two, it's the most impressive performance he's had. Like, I, I, I said it. I said it. The same thing. Yeah. So the same thing this yeah. week, to Chase. It is, in my opinion, the most encouraging performance yep. that he has had as a bear. Yep. I don't know if it's best the best performance, but I think that the signs he showed yep. operation, creativity as a thrower, understanding when to run and why, yep. confidence, everything. It is my favorite game that he has played in a Chicago Bears Absolutely. uniform. So if you want to go listen to the 15 minute, it, it's a 15 minute version of the Larry David gif where he's just like going back and forth. That's my yeah. conversation that I had with Chase this week. If you guys want to go yeah. check it out. Yeah, they, my kind of like shorthand is that it, it, it was the best his mechanics have ever been. Not, I don't mean just throwing. I mean pocket movement as far as stepping up, two hands on the ball, getting out, feeling his feet, letting his feet tell him when he's late as opposed to not bailing backwards, stepping up in the pocket. Yeah. Also, those tackles for the Bears. You guys can feel real good about where you're sitting with those tackles right now. And You, you uh, think so I, about Braxton Jones? I you do. really feel that way? I do. I I have been impressed with Braxton Jones. I, I really more than because I was going to give him a tackle in my mock draft. And I went back and watched a couple games just to make sure, and I was like, no, this guy's good. Like that's a that's a good left tackle. My think- my thinking is if they're in a position where the draft falls a certain way, and that's yeah. the best option at that spot, I still would consider it. I get it. He's also playing for his job, I think, over the next couple weeks or next couple months gotcha. down the back after the season. Gotcha. With just again with this tackle class being as special as it is, it's the guy that I'm just so impressed with on that offensive line, Tevin Jenkins is playing so well, fantastic, so that, well, yes. Yes. So the fact that they have multiple well. building blocks along the offensive line and Nate yep. Davis is fine at right guard. He's going to be there next well year. Too. You drop yep. a center into that thing, Connor Williams, yep. somebody like that, one of these free agents, you go from being one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year to a top 12-ish unit, yep. I think, potentially next season, which Absolutely. no matter who the quarterback is, that is a drastic departure from the life that I have lived recently. And you get one more weapon, and it's like, oh my goodness, you got a stew going. Yeah. Like, it's really, and there's signs of life with the defense. I know, it's crazy. Uh, but going to my picks, <laughs> speaking of maybe two teams that aren't feeling so well uh, right now, and so one we just dove into, I'm going with the Patriots, minus three at the Giants. Had a, didn't get to bet on these Super Bowls, uh, so might as well, this is my way to do it. <laughs> I, I, can't, I cannot believe you would put actual money on this game. <laughs> I am, I am too. Uh, but I want to see, you know, right off into the sunset. You Talk don't about believe the Tommy DeVito thing? I want to see one last performance from Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. I want to see one more. Just, you know, do it for me. I want to see some third down funkiness. I want to see some ghosts being saw <laughs> by the quarterback. I want to see some bad turnovers. I want to see – I just want to see something. So – that's what I'm hoping for, anyways, to see. Sorry, Giants fans, but that's why I'm enjoyment uh, the enjoyment I'm going to get out of this game. I'm also going to go Steelers minus one at the Bengals. Just you mentioned Browning. Also, the other offense coordinator firing. Post Matt Canada. Canada bump. Yeah, playing Canada, just no longer. The jokes are gone. The jokes are gone. I, so I, we'll see. we talked about it a lot with Diana this week. I, everything about how this unfolded over the last three years is baffling to me. If you were going to be willing to fire him in the middle of the season, why not? Why, why bring him back? I know. What? Why? Why was he the offensive coordinator ever? 
I, I just again, you can go listen to my like eight minute rant about this earlier in the week. Everything about it, like you said, Doesn't with the Matt, Mac Jones thing and them just hand waving the Matt Patricia and Mac yeah. Jones thing. The idea that you would draft a quarterback in the first round and the guy that you would pair him with is a guy who couldn't keep an offensive coordinator job in college for any stretch of time is mind boggling to me. You could go across the room because it's a duplex and ask people at the pit offices, how did you guys like him? Come on. It's yeah, I know it's bizarre. And how Tom then Tom would say it was like just my choice and everything too. Oh, just 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 it's baffling. Steelers, man, <laughs> they do everything on their own. It's it's yeah, that's still happening in the playoffs. Uh, last one we got the Dolphins minus nine and a half at the Jets. I am betting on this Black Friday game. I can actually do it because this podcast will be out in time, so I can kid this as a tout. And that's because I know. Boyle, no, this defense has improved, so I just think that's where they're going to have an advantage. This offensive line with the Jets, yada, yada, yada. I don't think I need to explain more. Really fun matchup, though, with this Dolphins offense versus Jets defense. Yeah, excited to watch that. it. Very, very, very excited, excited to, to watch, watch that yep. side of the ball. Two, My two good only units. concern is that we're getting to a place where the Jets defense might be so emotionally broken that they start right. to fold. Remember the, remember the Broncos last year? Yeah, remember they're yep. like even Sertan like was uh, like uh, it's a life I've Carolina. lived many times. I mean, I oh, know yeah, exactly yeah. what that starts yeah. to look like. Maybe the quarterback switch gives them a new life for at least this week, but I think that's the risk that you run with this sort of dynamic where the defense is just eventually going to run out of emotional gas. I mean, they're, they're, the tank is going to be on empty when they play that way, and the offense just doesn't do anything week after week. Jeez, oh, it's it's not it's not a fun life to live. You can even see it like as the. The hammer celebration gets a little ends up, ends up going from like a Thor hammer to a sledgehammer. A little, little, a little less hammer, enthusiastic. A little toy hammer by the end of the game. All right. That is all we have for this week. Please, you guys, enjoy your holiday. I know that we will. Uh, time of year is all about, you know, kind of gratitude, stepping back, appreciating yes. what you have. And just want to say that I never lose sight of that when it comes to this job and this show. Uh, this isn't promised to any of us. This isn't something that we should take for granted. The fact that you guys listen to this and allow us to continue doing it, I feel incredibly lucky for that all of the time. And there have been moments where maybe it didn't have to work out like this for me. And the fact that it has and the fact that all of you are willing to give us the support that you do, it really means the world. I will never, ever, ever take it for granted. So thank you very, very much. Please enjoy your holidays with your families and the time and the football. We will be back on Monday for now. Sincerely appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.